Our sermon this morning will be the first of three from the same passage of Scripture. Um, it's amazing that uh, some passages of Scripture, maybe, maybe many, many more than we might suspect, may only be three, four, five verses, and yet there are two or three different points that deserve the treatment of a whole sermon in them. Uh, certainly the life of Joseph being 13 chapters or 12 chapters, there's plenty of things for us to address in them. Uh, this, mor this morning and the next two Sundays, we will uh, read through uh, the book of Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 and ending in chapter 4, verse 12. And within those, within those verses, I've identified three main emphases that I think really warrant uh, a different time to talk about them each. Um, actually, we're not going to go one, two, three of the sections. We're going to go one, three, and two. So you may want to read that a little bit on your own at home and don't get lost. Um, I will too. Um, the... Uh, the text I will read in a moment, but as, as we always should do, let's ask God to help us hear it and understand it. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that uh, you have spoken to us, continue to speak to us, and you have caused your words to your people to be written down from century to century through your children Israel and through your servants in the body of Christ in its early decades. We thank you for, uh, for, the, for the way you have uh, used your servants' faithfulness to preserve the words you have spoken and that you have used faithful people through the centuries to translate your words from language to language, so that all people might know of your speaking to us. Uh, we ask you to help us this morning with these words through your servant Luke uh, in the Acts of the Apostles to help us understand and apply them to our lives. Speak to us this morning, Lord, through this portion of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we'll begin our text, and I'll handle it almost slide by slide with 16 verses that are, some of them quite full. We can't put them all on one slide, or you all pass out binoculars, do you? But um, we'll take them paragraph by paragraph, and, and I'd like to comment on each one as we go along. So uh, let's, let's listen to the Word of God for us this morning. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. At three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. Now, to comment on this, let's set the scene, uh, because this is a place, a very famous place. 
and I have found two photos taken by drones with Nikon cameras back in the first century. <laughs> Any photos you see of the temple in Jerusalem are models. They are models of various sizes, one to a hundred in proportion and various sizes and done over centuries. They're located in different towns, cities and universities, churches, some of them. Uh, I, I was looking through a list of some of them. I don't know if that's all of them, but th- this is a pretty good one. Uh, this is a closer shot, and uh, you are viewing this temple center from the east. So the doors of the temple face the east. There is still one remaining part of that temple, first century temple, sometimes called Herod's temple, sometimes called uh, the second temple. One part that remains, and it is a wall behind the temple and facing into the city. It's called the Wailing Wall, where Jews go today to pray and slip prayers into the cracks of these huge stones that formed the, the walls around the Temple Mount. Uh, this more distant shot uh, gives you a little bit a better view that there was quite a space around the inner set of buildings and structures. The tallest part of the temple contains two rooms, the holy room and then the holiest of holy rooms. In the holy of holies, only uh, a chief priest would enter that once a year, and it was on the Day of Atonement. Um, I understand they even tied a rope, perhaps ceremonial, but that in case God did some dealings with that priest, they could pull him out. <laughs> but, um, but that was the featured structure. It is very high. You cannot tell proportions or dimensions from these. I've seen one statement that it was 180 feet high, approximately 18 stories. That seems really high, but um, this is quite a structure. It uh, was not built as fast as our facilities were built. Uh, by the time that Jesus was conducting his ministry and entering into those courtyards, the temple had been under construction for 46 years and would continue being under construction until just a few years before it was totally destroyed by the Roman army in 70 AD. Amazing. The outer area, the ring of columns around, part of that is called Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. The area then around is the court of the Gentiles. It's a very large area. Gentiles could come there. Tourists on the buses would pull in and get off. But uh, people from around the world would come to see the temple, some to worship, whether they were Jews or not. 
they could only remain in the court of the Gentiles. It was in the court of the Gentiles that the, the marketplace was held and uh, money was exchanged with money lenders and money exchangers. And sheep and sacrifice animals were bought and sold in this court of the Gentiles scattered around. You'll see a little wall there, a low wall. That is the wall beyond which Gentiles cannot go, could not go. And um, there were signs around on that wall saying that uh, any Gentile who stepped over that wall and entered into the, that next area uh, was responsible for their own death. And uh, to, be, uh, to commit that offense against the temple was the one capital punishment that the Jews could administer themselves. Yes, they did stone Stephen. That was a quick pop-up execution that they didn't ask for permission from Pilate. But ordinarily, if the Jews believed someone needed execution, they had to go through the Roman authorities and King Herod even. The, the area just inside that wall was called the Court of the Women. Um, and I believe it was in, inside the first set of doors in the wall was the Court of Women. Then there's the Court of Israel, Court of Men. Men could go in there. Then there was a Court of the Priests. And finally up the steps and into the Holy of Holies. So this is the scene for the action today. Because at three, in, three o'clock in the afternoon was a time of prayer set every day, perhaps except the Sabbath, when other schedule was held for services. There's a painting I found by um, a French painter, uh, painted in 1655. His name is Nicolas Poisson, and he really captured. Uh, a good, a, a good representation of what the scene might have looked like. For there were broad steps leading up to different gates. One of the chief uh, archaeological Arctic architects who worked for 25 years in digs uh, pertaining to the temple there in Jerusalem believed that the beautiful gate which is not named in any other literature except the book of Acts. The beautiful gate was the south gate, not the east side we were looking from or behind the, in the west side, but on the south side, there were two gates, one of two doors and one of three doors, and they were beautiful. And this, this was a major entry for hundreds of people at the hours of worship in the temple. Um, the speculation is that uh, someone who is being brought every day to beg at the gate of the temple would be placed at a gate where there was high traffic. <laughs> I'm not sure they knew the word traffic in those days, but um, most likely a person begging and needing alms from people would be placed at a broad gate, and it was beautifully done so evidently the people may have referred to it as 
the beautiful gate, and so um, Luke also does. We read in that first few lines that the man was lame from birth. So that should remind us, as we pr proceed to read what happened, that should remind us that the man had never walked. Never walked. So let's read on into verse 3. When that layman, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So here is this beggar, <clears throat> and Poisson thought there probably wasn't just one there. He had a couple of others dotted on the steps. <clears throat> but here is this beggar with uh, not just one or two people coming in at this point, for it was at the hour of a set prayer. And uh, citizens of Jerusalem, the Jews who were very faithful, were pouring in at that time. I'll let one cat out of the bag that is not mentioned in our text this morning, but later we will read that there were 5,000 who gathered around Peter and John after this man began to stand up and walk. So to see a sense of the size of the temple and those court courts um, and to hear numbers, if you, if you have in your mind it's just a little place, maybe like our church, it is a big place. And thousands could be in those courts uh, at one time, uh, some doing business and some trying to pray. And Jesus was saying that the business was interfering with the prayer when he cleaned it out one day. <clears throat> so the, the beggar is there seeing people flock by him rapidly, I would think. Not just somebody paused. If, if you paused at the beginning of a service, you'd get run over. If you go, oh, look at this, murder. Look at this. No, you'd get run over. So he is just doing this automatically, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, not looking at anyone, just hoping somebody, thank you, alms for the poor. And Peter and John stop. And that's why they say, look at us. For what they do is not meant to be done to somebody not paying attention. They want him involved. It, 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 through the disciples and Jesus himself uh, wanted to involve people when he did some healing. Even the woman that came up and touched him, uh, just touched his cloak and was healed, he wanted, he stopped and wanted to engage with her. Um, so 
neither Jesus nor the disciples were going around and doing miracles to people without engaging them. We'll see why in a moment. Um, when he does fix his attention on them, he does expect to receive something. But he was surprised at what he received. As if with any of the stories in Scripture, we have a choice as to whose shoes we put ourselves in. Do you identify with the lame man or do you identify with Peter and John this morning? And you don't have to only choose one. In fact, we can be any one of them, uh, all of them. We, we can stand in all of their shoes in many of the stories. So they fixed his gaze on them and said, what we have, what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. Um, you know, what we don't see is Peter and John wondering whether to heal him or not. We don't see Peter and John stepping aside, you know, Peter grabbing John by saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's, uh, let's, let's go over here and pray for that man. Um, they just turned to him and approached him and engaged him and asked him to look at them. Now, while I was sharing this this morning, the thought occurred to me that this wasn't the first time that Peter and John had passed that man. The man was there daily. Peter and John had been in and out of that temple with Jesus, and since Pentecost, they and 3,000 other new believers had been going to that temple daily themselves. It is possible then that Peter and John had seen him before. He was known to people. And perhaps they had had a conversation about it. But at any rate, they begin immediately and tell him they to, to stand and uh, to stand up and walk. The other interesting thing is that Luke says that he took him by the right hand. Peter took the lame man by the right hand and raised him up. Um, so I think we should understand that Peter didn't go <laughs> that the man didn't do anything himself. And it doesn't indicate to us that, John, you get on one side, I'll get on the other side, and we'll stand him up and see if we can hold him up and, and let go of him slowly. We're not sure whether he will stand. There was a faith in Peter and John that was directed by God that they believed he would stand. So they give him one hand. And if you had never walked for 40 years, or had never walked in your life, there was at least a few seconds of get your balance. For not only did bones and tendons and muscles have to suddenly grow 
to do this, to get strong to do this, but nerves and balance had to click in. So a hand was good to steady him, not to do the work for him. Secondly, it was the right hand. And in the scriptures, we're told to give the right hand of fellowship. The hand was also not just to welcome him into standing and walking, but to welcome him into the kingdom of God. For they're not just interested in his body and his ability to walk. They're interested in his whole life. They're interested in his heart and mind and his knowledge of God. The man has been at the gate of the place of God for 40 years. Only at the gate. I believe there were some restrictions on people with deformities, uh, diseases, being permitted to enter the temple. But he was only there at the gate, day after day and year after year, and he was missing a lot. So the right hand was not just to steady them, him, but to welcome him, to be with them. And he does stay with them. He doesn't run off. He stays with Peter and John. The next uh, verse, 8, says, jumping up, not just standing up, but jumping up. He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Three things. He didn't just walk. He leapt. He was that able quickly. He was celebrating. And he praised God. He was not so focused in on himself that he missed that God originated all of this. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. The word amazement in Greek is actually the word for ecstasy. They were ecstatic at seeing this. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. So since Peter and John and the man walking with them entered through the gate, they were into the court of the Gentiles. But instead of moving on into the inner courtyards, Peter and John directed them to one of those porches going all the way around, some place in those porches that went all the way around the whole temple complex. For that enabled Gentiles to be in the crowd. They would have been excluded if Peter and John had walked through the next set of gates into where only women could be and men, and then beyond that to where only men could be. Interesting point. Directed to a place to speak to all the people who ran together to them 
in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. Verse 12 says, When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. And continuing in verse 14, but you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. We saw the resurrection. You are seeing this. Seeing is believing. And the faith that is through Jesus that is through Jesus, has given him his, this perfect health in the presence of you all. That is the word of God for us this morning as we work our way through it. Peter denies that their suspicion that Peter and John were the source of this miracle. And Peter and John correctly, quickly, Say it is not us. It is God who has done this. Uh, The God of our ancestors who has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected. That's the God who has done this. And And then Peter gives Jesus some names. He said, but you rejected the capital H, the Holy One a name only given to God in the Old Testament. And the Righteous One, capital R, capital uh, O, another name for God, and asked to have a murder given to you. You killed the capital A, author of life. Who is the author of life? Only God. God created. There was a very developed understanding that Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh, that they were not giving praise to someone other than God, but that God had raised this man, and God was Christ with us. Peter and John make it very clear that it is by faith in his name. His name itself has made this man strong. But the name does represent the person. But the name is powerful. Uh, I have a couple of observations to conclude with on this. The first observation is this. This was not the apostles' first rodeo. I'm sorry if you're seeing this from somewhere else in the country. Uh, This is an expression we use down here. Uh, But this was not the first time that the disciples or the apostles had been used by God 
to heal someone or do a miracle. Uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, also the writer of the gospel, his account of the gospel, wrote in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, wherever you, en- wherever you enter a town and the people welcome you, said some more things. He said, cure the sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they did. Two by two, 35 teams went throughout Judea and Galilee for a period of time telling people that Jesus was on his way. And while they were doing that, they were given power, authority by Jesus to cure the sick. So they had seen this before. This lame man is not the first person that God had directed them to do that. We may think it's the first place in Acts since Jesus has left them that they do this miracle. But no, Acts 2.43, right after the Pentecost experience and 3,000 people join the disciples as followers of Christ, uh, the disciples were healing people. Acts 2.43 says, All came upon everyone because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. So, this was not the first time that the apostles had been moved by God, by Christ, to heal someone with a word, with the name of Jesus. Second observation, it was by faith. Uh, Up until this morning, I said, had written, it was the faith of Peter and John alone that was responsible for healing this man. But I keep thinking about sermons, don't wait, till till we walk up here. (laughs) And I'm laying in bed this morning going, no, that's not right, Harry. That lame man did have faith. Uh, But the faith of the lame man was initiated by the faith of Peter and John. And Peter and John were much like the four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus one day when Jesus was teaching in a house. And not only were the disciples and the apostles there, but people from all over town were there and everywhere. And it was so crowded, the four men carrying their friend who's paralyzed on a a mat couldn't get anywhere near the house, couldn't get in the back door, front door, window, and they went up on the roof and lowered him in. And after they lowered him down in front of Jesus, they're, they're on the edge of the tiles looking down, and Jesus sees their faith and says to the man, pick up your bat, mat and walk. The faith of others has power to initiate healing for others but it also ought to involve the faith of others. Jesus always called for people to have faith. If not before he did, the miracle was after he did. Uh, It was also the faith of the man who was born lame. For he had to get up and walk. 
He had to first get up. He had to put energy into it himself when he had never done that before. Or if he had, had only stumbled and collapsed again and again until he no more, no longer tried it. But one more time, he attempted to stand and his ankles and feet were strengthened and he stood. He had to have faith. But faith can be communicated, stimulated from one to another. As we do, as we're encouraged to do, it is part of proclaiming the gospel. It is not just saying the words, it's proclaiming faith too, having faith. And it's my third observation is that it's not just faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in God. And God poured himself into a human body. And so it is right for us to have faith in Christ, faith in the Son, faith in the Father, faith in the Holy Spirit, God in three persons. I put up the painting of uh, Nicholas Poisson one more time. Uh, we... We experience uh, individually, in our families, in our community, in our congregation, uh, illnesses, desperate threats to our lives from a multitude of sources. COVID virus is only the latest. Uh, in the midst of the COVID virus, which could take our lives, we have cancers and other heart problems and other types of lameness. And uh, don't you wish we could see one another and just reach out our right hand and say, in the name of Jesus, be cancer-free. In the name of Jesus, no longer have a heart problem. In the name of Jesus, be rid of your COVID virus. I've walked into hospital rooms many times, some of you have, and wondered about this, this act that the early disciples were led by God to do. And I wonder, as a minister, am I supposed to have more faith to do that? I do remember a couple of things, though. Number one, when God was initiating something major in his salvation history, there was always a cluster of mir miracles surrounding that event. One of the first of those was Moses leading the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And in order to set them free, God did many miraculous things in the eyes of the Egyptians, but also in the eyes of the Hebrews who were settled in being slaves. And you want us to leave and follow you out to the desert? God surrounded 
the whole event of setting the people free from Egypt and giving them the, the Ten Commandments and the law and the, and the tabernacle and worship, he surrounded that with miracles. Even more so, when God entered human history in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, it was an event surrounded by amazing number of miracles to lead people to trust in Christ and give their lives to him, to overcome centuries of tradition and venture to something God was doing new and actually recovering from Abraham, surrounded by amazing miracles to help people begin to believe. To get something started, a car, a company, it takes extra power to get it from stop to go. So there's the cluster around the early church of miracles. But does God still do miracles? Absolutely. They may not all be witnessed by thousands, as some of those at the beginning of the church were witnessed. They may be witnessed by a family, by a spouse, by a congregation, by a tribe, by a people who had never heard of Jesus, by a, a primitive area that had practically no modern medicine, but God would do something miraculous for them. I also realized that Jesus said, you will do many more amazing things than what you're seeing here. And I think we don't give God enough credit for the development of modern knowledge, of scientific knowledge, of the development of healing arts and medicines and uh, so much that we can do today through people who have studied, through the knowledge that's been gained. I took a little project the past week and went back and looked at some of the great names in the development of modern science. And often, there's no attention given to their personal life. But in certain sources, you can find that. Not Wikipedia, but uh, Britannica, for instance, was a difference. Told about their, their church commitment, their faith. And there's amazing stories behind a lot of the key figures, like Copernicus, Francis Bacon, Robert Boyle, Joseph Lister. Uh, you got Google? <laughs> Go read them. Uh, I got a couple pages of notes already. <laughs> and I think that God has been working and is not given praise for how he heals people even through the knowledge he's given us today. But also can work besides that and behind that and ultimately even what our finest scientific medical minds do, God has to still work. Uh, well, I hope this story has whet your appetite 
to read on. And we'll pick up the story next week because it takes a little change. And we'll learn more about how God has worked and the importance of the name of Jesus. Let's think about that as we hear Bev play our offertory. Thank you. 